Okay, um, righteousness of Christ, where he says he would strengthen us with his right hand. So we're talking about spiritual strengthening. Spiritual strengthening. But not only physical, spiritual strengthening, but also physical strengthening. Uh, chapter 41 of Isaiah, the 10th chapter, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Being strengthened by Jesus. The book of Exodus, the 6th chapter, the 5th through the 7th verse. It says, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. With great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians." As we look under, that we're under the same stress and burdens and bondages of the world today and of the things today. And so we have to take this by faith, looking at what God said in the Old Testament to those that he had chosen. But they were just a chosen people as a shadow, a type of those that God would call unto himself. But they were under the law, and it was a physical matter that they were going through as children of God. It didn't change them in, internally. Uh, anything wasn't changed about them. But we see where he promises that he's going to rectify that situation. So he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help you. And I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So it's something that he's going to do to help us in a way that they wasn't in the Old Testament under that shadow. It says, then you shall know. It indicates that God expects that when he begins to speak to us, though we may believe him, we may not be able to translate his commandments or his commandments into the kind of action that we will someday be able to. So the fear nights at all what he's going to do, it causes us to visualize, give us some hope, or one day at some time or whatever, that there's going to transpire something in our lives that where he's going to help us and be able, we'll be able to do what he's commanding us to do. We'll be able to walk in those commandments. So we accept that by believing it. But he says, then will you know. So the things that are transpiring in our lives and what we see brings us to a repentance, a turning toward God. It's like a burning bush experience that Moses had in the wilderness. It's a specific circumstance or a time in our lives that we come to understand things. He says, we will really not, we re will really not know the Lord 
until after he has fulfilled what he had promised to do. And then, as Peter and them, he has, they say, show, me, show us the Father. Well, they were kind of blind as some of us are. We are blinded now. We don't see now, or we can't see the reality of, of just where we are or what's going on. I, on the way here, I hate to use things as an example, but something was going on on the way here. And from this perspective, I was seeing it that where we was, this actually brought to being that this is wrong. I, I can see the wrong in the situation, but the other person in the situation couldn't understand or couldn't see the wrong uh, of what was wrong with the law. And there, it had a sign saying, don't stop on the railroad track or don't do this. Sometimes we see things or we hear things, and that's how God's law was, that we just casually break those laws or we don't understand why those laws are there. But at some time when God gives us an understanding of what can happen, and you know, I've seen a lot of train incidents where the train came along and would kill people or whatever, or things would happen. But then as a Christian, we're to set examples of up to others of what we should not do or whatever. So that puts a fear of God. You can tell the people that have a fear of God in their lives because it's like God was working in Joseph's life in Egypt. And when Potiphar's wife wanted to lie with Joseph and Joseph said, I couldn't do that sin against my master, and he ran. Once you start having the fear or realization of what's going on, then you know God, you experience God, then you know better, you'll be able to better equip to serve God. Peter had that experience. Uh, He had said that he would die for Christ or whatever, but he didn't know until he received the Spirit of God and then he started knowing and coming to understand God better then he will know. Only when something happens in our lives, then we begin to know, understand. But until that time, we're blind and we're going to make excuses for why we do what we do or why we don't understand. It was like Job. Job was consistently arguing and fighting there and he was wanting counsel with God. But God had to take all of his cow. He had to kill all of his children. What Job went through before Job could realize and actually see God. He says, now I know, now I understand better. He didn't know before or whatever because of a lack of God opening his understanding. And Isaiah is preaching this about fear not. It's a promise to the people that will go into Babylonian captivity, the, the trials and things that they will go, and go through. <coughs> That God was saying, fear not for those experiencing and the things that you, which you're about to go through because once I start acting in your behalf, then you can see this and then you'll be able to walk in that. I can strengthen you as I come into your life. Thus, uh, he expects there to be weakness in us. We see weaknesses in one another and we compensate. You know, we just pray for one another when we see these weaknesses uh, of the infirmities or feel where others are short of misunderstanding or don't understand or can't comprehend. That's why 
we have to pray for one another because some of us can see and some of us can't see and until God open up our understanding to see we will not be able to hear what someone's telling us we're not going to be able to understand it we're not going to perceive it so thus we're going to make excuses or we're going to reject it or continue on in it and that's why God was telling them he was going to give them a spiritual strength and ability to see we begin to see here then that the people were once again strengthened through God's word there are a lot of people know God's word, but they don't understand God's word. It's not active in their life. It has no power in their life. That's why I say it's a lot of people in the church, but God's word is to none effect to them because they can't apply it. The spirit is, isn't working in them, actively working in their lives to give them wisdom and knowledge and understanding. A clarity of understanding. You could be in church or be at a place for a long time. And that's what happens is that we see, we can't quite see things or understand things. And uh, let me get back to God's righteousness, this thing that he's going to give us the ability to see and strengthen us. I printed this from Torah's topical textbook. God's righteousness imputed unto us. I'm not going to go over this at this time. It's some of the things on here that I will be going over as I go over this and I have went over before, but this is a study note if you want to and y'all's time, you know, that you can study this, but like I said that's what, something for the reading or for some, some of us that's going to be strengthening it's strengthening for the battle. All this strengthens us. That's why he says he's going to strengthen us through his word. And how does that come? By studying the word of God. Getting to private studying and researching it and hiding it in your heart. And having that ability to apply it. Because the battles, the battle is full blown. The battle is being waged. But a lot of us can't fight that battle because... We're not those. We're not part of those soldiers to fight that battle. He has certain people for certain battles uh, here. Let me. I can put this one in here. God's pattern for leadership. You remember I told you He gave us some of us leaders and some of us prospective teachers and their ministers and certain people. And that's why I say the church is lacking teachers. It's lacking teaching elders and. Ministers, and that's what the people is lacking the word of God. In the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter and the 31st verse, he says, Simon, Simon, uh, listen, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Well, he was talking to all of them. The Amplified Version inserts there. It says Satan desires to sift you all as wheat. So we all going to be tried. Satan tries all of us. All of us have different trials and tribulations. Uh, the King James Version reads, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Well, that word desired there is the same word desired that he used in the book of Genesis when it says, uh, your desire shall be unto your husband. That was a desire to control, to be in charge of, 
And that's what Satan wants to do, have control of being in charge of us, to have authority over us. And that's what a woman, when it says a woman's desires unto her husband, to rule over and reign over her husband. And that's why men have to be able to overcome and be strengthened because that's an ongoing battle that's continually going. And I see a lot of people losing that battle, and that's the problem. I still hadn't finished with that paper that I wanted to give you about pathetic men. You know, virtually that's the problem today. The male, the men are pathetic nowadays. Men aren't like they used to be, and it's so hard to find strong men. And that's what Elijah was like in his day, you know, in a, in a church or assembly at different places, and they say, why men don't have a lot of friends? That's because you can't have a very, very close relationship with men that aren't real men or men of, of, of un, that lack understanding and integrity. And that's what has failed in this society greatly. But why only did Jesus mention Peter here? Why did he single out the name of Peter? Well, as I said, he was talking to all of them. Because, but Jesus thrust upon Peter the responsibility of strengthening the other disciples. He says, when you come around, you strengthen your brethren. Well, I try to go back now as I came through. I talk with my cousins and nieces and all of my brethren or so because God sometimes chooses only one from a family or whatever. But sometimes that person that will come through, he has to go back and strengthen others because others, a lot of the others aren't able to comprehend. They aren't able to understand. You know, you have different levels of understanding and uh, a lot of times you can see whether somebody could understand or have a discernment or know something and it's up to you to help strengthen that person or try to bring that person along and then sometimes as Paul you realize well this is beyond that person studying uh, his capability of his, uh, his strength we have to realize that some people are not made leaders some people are not made to be in these positions that in the unity there are some that's leaders and there are some that's followers but they all make one body you know all of them are important but there's different gifts or different things given to each and every one of us we all don't occupy the same place we have to understand that Satan's desire to sift them uh, was that we some men or some people can buck up and assume the responsibility given you didn't have maybe with your children or different ones in a family you know that child or whatever that you can count on for authority or to be the responsible one well out of Joseph among Joseph's brothers or whatever Joseph was the one that was to be that responsible one he didn't say it to James or John he wouldn't signaling them out or whatever even though that they were apostles and with that they wasn't single out in that but all of us has that responsibility to be the bulk with to be the stronger one in the crowd to help strengthen others you know it's a lot of people that look to certain people and that's what you call some people that has charisma made to be leaders or whatever uh, and he gives us that power that authority 
Remember, I said strengthening with the right hand. He's going to strengthen us with his right hand. The book of John, the first chapter, in the twelfth verse, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let me read that in the Amplified. It says, But to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, in other words, the privilege to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in him, that is, trust and rely upon him and not upon themselves. We see here that it is given by measure. Those that believe upon him, he had given them that power and authority to become sons of God. And in some versions it translates it as he gave the right to become sons of God. Now that right, that word right, uh, you can uh, the power you can. It's in the Hebrew language as exousia, exousia, which has a variety of usage. The word can mean power, authority, of the capability. A couple of weeks, a month ago, I translated as the ability, the strength, or uh, entrusted a commission. Now. To each person, as they exercise that faith, that the faith varies among individuals because we don't have that all have that same measure of faith. Uh, but as we exercise or use that faith, that ability to become children of God, to become a brighter light, is left unto us because, like I said, when He says, "Be not fearful." There's a lot of men or women, uh, whoever, children, whatever it may be, fearful to do what the Spirit's telling them to do. You got a lot of men that the wife cower down, or that the husband, that the husband cowered a wife down because, you know, she shouldn't be fearful of him also. You see what I'm saying? But that's why God tells us to not be fearful because that fear, the the love of God casted out that fear because you're trusting in God that you, He's going to give you the ability to do what He's telling you to do. And if you listen to that man or afraid of man or whatever, that's causing you not to be as powerful, as strong as in God. That's why I say it's going to vary from individual to individual because some people fear man rather than God. They are men pleasers. You know, sometime you know, if the home has to be broken up, it just has to be broken up. Whatever come what may, you need to follow God. You may be scared of what's going to happen or what's going to transpire as you stand up for yourself. You may be scared of what's going to happen in your political party or what's going to happen at work or whatever. If you stand up, if you do these things, that fear, that fear is sin because God had told you not to fear. We're not talking about a natural fear, like if that's a snake on the ground, about fearing something naturally that's happening to you. But we're talking about fears that can be, fears that can be troubling or be a snare unto you through the Word of God, through these spiritual means here. Uh, it implies the liberty or the power to do something. He had 
said it there for all of us. That opportunity is there for all of us to reach out and become children of God and to become strong in struggle. We have that right. We have that right. Now, what the nation, uh, and I have another article about Christian, the Christianity, the nationalism here that's going on with the nation, and we have another Jesus that's being preached, another Christianity that's being preached that they used uh, are using that might makes right, and might doesn't all the time makes right. So a person can be given a right to do something and then given the might or power to do something. There's a difference there. If you have a right to do something, and then God equips you through your weakness or through your trusting and believing Him, He gives you that might to do that. He strengthens you. That's an inner strengthening that comes from Him, what? Imputing His righteousness unto you. The righteousness of Christ that's imputed unto us. That's why I say as many as received him, as you really trust and believe the word of God, that word of God strengthens the inner man. That word of God strengthens you. And like I say, you can say it all you want to, but that doesn't mean you believe it or you actually are acting upon the word of God. So that's what strengthens you. That's why Paul could see that these people had faith to be healed or whatever because stepping out on faith the righteousness of faith is what's working in those people it's what's working in the children of God to strengthen in them let me do this one last thing here and I'll be through with this paper here with this work here the sin offering that was that right was made possible by Jesus Christ sin offering for us upon the cross what he feared the most of the thing that was in him we see on the cross it says Matthew 27 and 46 verse it says about the ninth hour which was about 3 o'clock Jesus cried out with a loud agonizing voice saying Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani that is my God, my God why have you forsaken me? Here we have Jesus forsaken by the Father. He's gone into darkness. The sins of the world had been placed upon him. That's what he feared was separation from God. That's what this whole ordeal of what we are doing about because it caused this tear in the Godhead. It caused this separation. And God, he says, why had thou forsaken me? So he went into darkness, he went into this, he experienced this, so we wouldn't have to. Could it be that this provides an insight into the only thing that Jesus feared? We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, you know, that this that if it was any other way, could he says, but nevertheless, thy will be done. So God, it, it strengthened him. He was sweating his blood was actually was sweating actually blood uh, you know and they have scientific reasons that they say about it or whatever but this was the agony this is the one thing that he agonized the most is that he was going to be separated from the father because he was going to be dead and in that grave three day, days yes. he was going to be dead and in that grave three days
he feared the loss of contact and communication with his father and that he did not know what he would do then. As What happens if we're separated from God? And that's what I was telling you about this deal about the law of different things because if anything would have happened to us at that time, we'd have been on the news or whatever, we'd have died in the wrong or whatever because the law says don't do this. Don't park on this train track. Don't be around this. The law says don't commit adultery. Don't do this. Well, if you die in sin, committing sin. So that's why those of us that fear God, it's the departing or turning away from sin. Repentance comes along. When you see somebody breaking the law, when you see your relatives or anybody around you doing something that's against God, you tell them, say, well, look, this is against God, and I warn you now, if anything happened to you or anything happens at this time, you've been warned that what you're doing is not right. I'm not a part of this. This is not the unity of God. Joseph feared his, his father's righteousness, and that's why he gave the report upon his brothers, because they were doing wrong or evil. Book, the book of Proverbs says, Father, not a crowd to do wickedness. When someone's doing wrong, it's your job to warn them. As a watchman, what we're doing, what's going on, what you're doing here has made me complicit in your wrongdoing. We have to be that way. And that's what God's word, that's the fear, fear and trembling. That's why Paul warns people at the peril of losing his life. And these preachers would go in and warn people and preach to people at the peril of losing their lives. Nathan could have lost his life when he told David, you're the man, David. You're the one who stole Bathsheba. You're the one who killed Uriah. You could lose your life. That's why they realized that Peter had been with Jesus because of his boldness. He says, man ought to obey God rather than man. Now this is the same man that this slave girl had called out for being with Jesus and he swore and cursed and said he never knew him. But he says, Peter, you could deny me thrice. So he sees that and he knows in his heart this is the word of God coming true. Have things start impressing upon you and you start to realize, hey, this is God. It puts a fear. It puts different things in your life that you never do these things again because you know this is God and I saw God. And that's why Job was like that. He's seen God. It's different when a man's seen God. You can't make him go against God if he know God. Now, if these people that confess God or profess God and still doing what's wrong, and they, they've met or seen a different God or another God. The, that fear of God, that comes what, what's the representative truth about that, what we could see is a repentance, or a repentance of turning away from sin, a repentance of turning away from your wrongdoing. You're not going to make excuses for your wrong. You're going to say, my sin is upon me. Uh, I've sinned. And, and notice these people, the confession of sin is, you know that that person of God now because he confesses when he's wrong. But if a person covers up and makes excuses, you can leave that alone and not argue with it because they don't know God because they're not standing in the truth. They think you couldn't cover the truth or the truth is relative or the truth is objective. No, the truth is absolute, absolute in Jesus Christ. Said he is the truth, the way, and the life. There's only one way and one truth. 
we need to consider this deeply and appreciatively because this is the great gift made available to us by Christ's sacrifice, his sin offering. And if we really see this and realize, hey, he died for us, Jesus Christ died that we shall not continue in sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? No, God has died and placed us in right standing with God. We've been justified. So now what? We got to pull off the old man. We got to stop doing what we used to do and put on Christ who's created at, at the righteousness sake. Fellowship with God is being at peace with him and having access to him are admittance to the very fountains of living water. Once I have access to God, I don't want to drink of no other fountain. I don't want anything else. Anything else pales by comparison. That's why Peter says, you have the truth, where shall we go? We're not going to give up these peaceful flowing waters of shalom, the peaceful flowing waters for things of the world, or for that we could be right. No, self has to die. I have to even deny my own self because God is what's right. God is who is right. There's none right but the Lord and walking in his way. We can safely say that once our sins are covered by Christ's blood, access to God is the source of our spiritual strength and growth because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us by God. He gives us access. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Once we have that blood of Jesus Christ covering those sins, once we feel that it gives us spiritual strength. There's a renewing. It's starting the strength in the inner man. That's that's the way the spirit works from the inside out. And the spiritual man, it strengthens even the physical man. So if God's in us working out, that's why we say we should feed that with study, with prayer, and the things of God. Romans 5, 1 through 5. I'll read this in another version of the Bible. Like I said, some of these versions make it a little bit more clear. It says, So now, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in His promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We've been justified. We've been placed in right standing by God if we believe his promises, if we believe his word. That's why it says to them that believe it upon him to receive those promises and everything, he had given the power of the ability. Do you actually believe and, and have faith and trust in that word that this has been done and that's what Jesus Christ's life has done, that his shed blood was shed and it made you free? It broke the bondage that you were in? Now see, those that were under the law, under the Old Testament, I was saying, they couldn't see this. They was looking forward to Christ. This hadn't actually happened. We're looking back toward the cross saying that this has done. He has placed us in right standing with God. This is a reality, something that has transpired. And that's why when he says it is finished, all we have to do is walk therein. So if if we're cowering and have doubt and not actually believing this, 
this is where we're weak at. This is where we need strengthening at. But this strengthens us as we believe this. His word strengthens the feeble knees. It, it makes us stronger. It makes us believe that this is going to happen to us. We know that actually one day all this is going to transpire. What his word had said is happening. It's actually, and we can see those that oppose us crumbling around us. Those that had stood behind us because he's making us a strong threshing instrument. That's what I say. We're able to speak words into power. We'll be able to speak these things into being. For because of our faith, he has brought us into a place of his highest privilege where when we stand now. We confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has in mind for us to be because he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And I know he's going to accomplish this. So that's why we don't fear these things because we know that we have that actuality because he's then given us a taste of his spirit. He's then given us that hope. And nothing can make us afraid. He'll never leave us and forsake us because he had endured that himself. And now he had made that way. All we have to do is walk therein and fear not. He's telling us to fear not. For us to fear is not trusting in what he's saying. We have to get over those fears. We have to get over those things. And the only way to do that is to walk and to grow in the faith of Christ Jesus. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Those trials, the tribulations, everything, all things work together for good. We know that these things that's going on that we're experiencing, that we run into, all of this is combined that Christ is, God is working a greater thing in us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So he's bringing us into that oneness. So what people do to me, they're doing that to Christ because I no longer live. It's Christ in me. It's not my body anymore. It's not my words I'm starting to decrease. As I decrease, he increases. And so as I die to self, I get stronger. The inner man is getting stronger day by day. And the outward man is perishing. I become more humble. I become more me. I become more patient because I'm waiting on the Lord. Those that wait up on the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm not getting ahead of him. He's doing it. He's working in me both to will and to do. So sometimes that patience, he learned patience through the things you're suffering, through what you're enduring. But it's through the study of the word of God, through communication with God. That communication doesn't have to be broken. If you're rising and you're praying with him, everywhere you go, you can take the presence of God. You take him along with you because he's in you. Do you actually believe that? He says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So when you're going through things and don't see him there, he's there. You may not feel him and can touch him but see it, but we are living by faith and not by sight. And patience develops strength of character in us. It develops our character, and it's all about character. 
He's building himself, his image and his likeness in us. He's that character, that's very important. What type of character are you having? And that character helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. You start getting your spiritual legs up on you. You start to getting stronger and stronger. And Satan can feel his grip loosening as you start caring less and less about the world and the things of the world. As you lose the love of the world and the love of what somebody's saying, that trying to please men and trying to get the approval of man, Satan can feel that grip loosening and he's going to come out with all kinds of schemes and devices. You know this and you know this because you are weak. You can feel your infirmity. He says, thou warm Jacob. I should strengthen thee. Where is it at there? He calls us a worm and it's nothing. The first 14th verse of that 41st chapter says, fear not thy worm Jacob and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. If God's saying that we like a worm, but he's going to help us, why should we fear what men can do to us or what people say about us? We feel in his word, his word saying, we're blessed when people are talking about us and persecuting us and saying all manner of evil about us and calling us names. That when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens, and that all is well. For we know how dearly God loves us, and we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. That's the warm joy and feeling and patience you can feel from God. You're not feeling anything coming from man, you're not fearing man. So they're wondering what's going on with you. But sooner or later, if they don't get on board the train, the train's going to run over them. This thing's going to crush you. Whoever stands before this rock, it's going to be ground into powder. So your father is the captain of this. So why should you go around ducking and hiding from man? Romans 3.20. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For no person will be justified that he is free of guilt and declared righteous in his sight by trying to do the works of the law. For through the law we become conscious of sin. In other words, in reckon- and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but it provides no remedy for it. Uh, the living virgin says now do you see it no one can ever be made right in God's sights by doing what the law commands for the more we know of God's laws the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them his laws serve to only make us see that we are sinners so once you start seeing that we are sinners once we see that he says obey the laws of man of the authority of those that have authority and power over you well, if you're a natural-born lawbreaker and you know that you break, God gives us his law to show you, show us that we're sinners and lawbreakers. So that's why I say those people that rush the capital, those people that don't pay attention to the ordinances and the laws of the land, 
You think they could exist in heaven? Because rulers should be making laws for the good of the people. They should be doing this as servants of God. And when they are not, if you're doing what God had told you to do, and you're not a lawbreaker, then God chastens them for making unrighteous laws or transgressing you. But then, if you break in the law, you're suffering for your own sin, right? People say, well, he killed somebody, he trained, and, then, and now he changed, he converted, but you must pay for the law you broke, huh? You break the speed limit, or you rob somebody, or you break these laws. So that's why I say, you shouldn't go around breaking the law. But the law offers no remedy. Only Jesus Christ offers us a remedy. That's why I say, well, when we get faith, the faith of Christ, when we get the faith of God, when we get His righteousness by faith, then we go around, we help establish the law because He gives us the power and the authority of obeying it to be obedient unto the law. To be justified means to have our past sins forgiven and to have righteousness imputed unto us. That's what he did. He imputed this unto Abraham for righteousness. It's a counting term, that word imputed. In other words, it reckoned that Abraham is righteous. It placed him in right standing with God. It's not through work or, or anything Abraham did. What he did, he believed and trusted God. So if we believe and have faith and trust God, then he imputes this. If we believe in Jesus Christ that he had did this now, the apostle is saying that there is no way anyone can receive forgiveness of past sin by obeying the law. That's what Israel fell short at. There was no redemption in the law. It was weak through the flesh. If you obeyed the law, it wasn't any promises or nothing could be done for you. That's why he says he have about much better covenant. The new covenant that he made is a much better covenant. Whereas he can write his laws upon our hearts. The way that's wrought upon our hearts is us by, by us naturally doing this and becoming this. We are righteousness because we are the righteousness of God and this is practice righteousness. This is something that we become because we're renewing and transforming our mind. But all at the same time, it's through repentance, turning away from sin, turning away from self, turning away from the old man, pulling off the old man. So all that time, the spirit of love that's working in us, it's regenerating us. It's making us alive. It's quickening us. It's making us a living spirit. It's changing or transforming who we are. Present obedience does not do anything to wash away past iniquity. So just because someone is in jail and is a model prisoner, that don't stop them from being a murderer. They have to be forgiven. That that sin has to be wiped away. Something has to cover those transgressions. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us all. For all of us fall short. There has to be some other manner for sinners to receive forgiveness of past sins if they are to have a hope of entering God's kingdom. So 
how can we do this? How can we be saved? How can we not fear the wrath of God? How can we fear? How can we not be fearful of what's coming up on the world? Uh, because the wages of sin is death. So how can we have that sin removed so that we won't die? We have to have somebody else's righteousness. Somebody else would have to die for us. So we believe that somebody was Jesus Christ. That he died for us. He took our sins upon himself. So we're saved by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. So through God's grace, we hear the word preached. As we hear the word preached, we hear that word, we trust that word, we believe that word. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we hearing the word of God and we have faith that that is right, that is the truth. Right? So that's how faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's what a preacher does. He's supposed to preach the word of God. And as he preached the word of God, by hearing, we grow in faith. We grow in the grace and knowledge of God. We are justified through faith in that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. So there's a lot of people that believe Jesus Christ died for their sin, that died for sin. He is the payment for our sin. He's the lamb that was provided. God should provide himself a lamb. You all right? God should provide himself a lamb, thus freeing us from sin's penalty, and at the same time, God accounts or imputes Christ's righteousness to us. So once he forgives us of sin, he justifies us, he places us in right standing with God, he imputes Christ's righteousness unto us, he put places that in our account. That's placed in our account. Not that we are righteous, we are made righteous. It's reckoned to us that we are right now from having faith that this transaction had, had transpired, that we believe on Jesus Christ and he died for our sins or whatever, and that's when God does that. The righteous that, righteousness that enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice is accounted as if it was ours. He was the perfect sacrifice. He died that life, and so it can't be done again. This was the perfect sacrifice. He appeased God. He was the atoning sacrifice. That's a perpetuation for our sins. So this makes it possible for us to have access to the presence of God. We can boldly go before the throne of grace and ask for anything. We, can, we have access to God now. Jesus Christ had made that possible. So we don't have to go through a priest or anyone else. We can pray to God for ourselves, and that's at any time. We have access to God. If you had access to a governor, a mayor, a president, or someone that had the authority to grant you the things that you asked for, you see what I'm saying? The veil is rent, so anybody can go through faith. That's not just for us. It's for anyone. But this does away, but this does not do away with the law. It's only for those that have faith. 
those that are justified. You remember I said there's two seeds in the earth. It's some people that don't actually believe this or don't actually walk in this or don't actually receive that. It doesn't do away with the law, and that's what's going to condemn the world. That's what's condemning the world. That's why I say it is Moses that convicts you, not one jot nor two shall vanquish away from the law to all be fulfilled. That law is the sword. That's what we will the word of God. His law is righteousness, and we're made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But I tell you what we do, we help establish the law. So that's why when I say, well, look, you're breaking the law. Do you know this is the law? Well, you warn people. That's what a preacher do. A prophet do. He come in and warn. you breaking God's law. Are you breaking this law? We help establish the law. Not that we're under the law, but we know what the, the law says and what the law is because we're the righteousness of God. So that's implied, up, that's written up on our hearts. We're not going to sin against something we actually believe. We're not going to do what we actually believe and know. People laugh and joke about this and that. But no, we regard this as a very serious matter. This is what weakens you. It's not a laughing matter. That's why he says with fear and trembling, he says mourning is better than laughter and joy or whatever because those that mourn and sigh, do you mourn and sigh for the nation, for the people, for your children? For your spouses, for because we see what a horrible condition they're in, and we know God punishes sin. And if you don't straighten up, it's no way in for you. So what is funny about this? And that's that's what he looks and people are laughing and as the days of Noah, they married and given and married. This is a very serious thing that the nation is in. This is very serious. And that's why I say those that mourn and sigh for the nation because do you look at your relative, your spouse, your children, the pitiful condition, the pathetic condition in? Unless they change, you sinning against a God, and this is no joke. You can wake up facing this God in judgment. Somebody say, Ezekiel, you'll warn them. You'll watch them. You warn them. It places the law in its rightful position in our understanding of what God is working out in our lives. He's working out in our lives. Romans 3, 21 through 22. Here Paul explained that God had provided a means whereby we may receive forgiveness of sin and be accounted righteous in his sight. It is separate and distinct from the obedience of the law. It's separate and distinct from the obedience of the law. This is the obedience of faith. This forgiveness comes by hearing having faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let me read that to you, 21 through 22 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed that he is independently and completely apart from the law, though it is actually confirmed by the law and the words of the writings of the prophet. The law and the words only confirm that which Jesus had did by signs and wonders and what he's living and what his life was and what he said. The law confirms this. Those words of the Old Testament, they were written for our admonition. But it's confirmed through here. He says this righteousness of God comes through faith in Christ Jesus 
for all those, that's Jew or Gentile, for all those who believe and trust in him and acknowledge him as God's son. There's no distinction that this is the way it has to be done and this is the way it comes through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why I say those Jews, anyone that reject Christ Jesus, you have no resources to get you the kingdom of God. You have nothing to get you to heaven. You have nothing to get you before God. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way to the Father. It's no other way to the Father. You can't get to God but through Jesus Christ. And it's a righteousness by faith. I keep telling you, you're saved by faith alone. Romans 3, 23 to 26. He says, Since all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God and are being justified, that is, declared free of the guilt of sin, made acceptable to God and granted eternal life. So that's what justification do. It puts you in right standing with God. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You're made acceptable to God. It says, uh, made acceptable to God and granted as a gift by His grace. By grace, this only comes by grace. You can't earn it, not through the works of the law. That's different from being married to Israel and promising the marriage supper because obedience puts the linen clothes of righteousness on you. This is something, you remember I told you that? New Testament is actually us doing that is putting on Christ. The linen of the saints, the white robes that we are putting on. It's a preparation period. It's preparatorial. It says, as a gift through the redemption, that is the payment of our sins, which was provided in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly before the eyes of the world as a living sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation, that is a propitiation by his blood, to be, to be received through faith. So all this Christ hanging on a cross was did as a publicly public spectacle that he allowed wicked men to murder his son and that that blood should be shed, but that was going to be atonement. That was going to be the price. That was going to be the redemption price for all of everyone's sins, for everybody's sins who would accept that's the perpetuation was by his blood but it's true faith the only way you can receive this is that this was done for you personalize God say this was done for me don't think about the whole world anybody. Christ died for me because there's other Jesuses out there that preach it but you have to say that he died for you once you empower that you're working out your own salvation there was no that was to demonstrate his righteousness, which demands punishment for sin. So he was punished for our sins. He was our substitute. He stood in our place. But we are only his disciples if we continue in his word. We have to be doers of his word. Because in his forbearance, he passed over the sins previously committed. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. He had, he's the justifier. So all of those that have faith in Christ Jesus, that's the only way you're made right. That's the way you justify. It's through faith in Christ Jesus. 
God can forbear with us because Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died for all. But all don't accept that. If we repent and ask God's forgiveness, then Christ's blood covers all of our sin. Notice repentance. Turning away from sin. You can't continue in your sin. That's what I say. You can't continue in sin that grace shall abound. You have to stop sinning. And Christ is the only one that can stop that. He's given, He said, I'm going to strengthen you. Now, like I said, to be strengthened by Him and to be strengthened by His right hand, it requires obedience through faith. It requires obedience. Justice has been done so you don't have to die that death. The sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. God can forbear with us and allow us to get away with our sins for a while, but because if we, for a while, because if we repent, then Jesus Christ's blood covers our sin and justice is done. And but what happens if we don't repent? What happens to those that believe Jesus died from, but still living any kind of life? That's still doing all these other things. You see, that's why I say we should be worried about our children. We should be worried about our spouses. We should be worried about our neighbors. We should be worried about the city, the community, the sins of the world. That's why we go forth and preach the gospel. That's why our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, to tell them the good news and warn the world and declare the word of God. But if we don't repent, we have to pay that penalty for sin. Because we're not accepting him paying that penalty. Without repentance, there's no remission of sin. There's no removal of that sin if we don't repent. That sin is not, we have to pay for our own sin because we're not believing on Jesus Christ. We're not obedient to to the word of God. We're not obedient to him. If we lay our burdens and cares upon him, there has to be a different action, a reciprocal action in our lives there's different actions of the, the one that actually allows. For his forbearance is allowed under his legal system because Christ paid for our sins. So you can get off for a while, but eventually, like I said, you don't want to die in your sin. You don't want to die transgressing God and not having believed God. He can be merciful and lenient for a while, and whether we we repent or whether we do not repent, justice is ultimately served because a death occurs. Deaths will come. It's either you allowing Jesus to die in your place or you're going to die in your own place. You see what I'm saying? If you don't repent and you don't match these things, these this conditional requirements of repentance, conditional requirements of receiving faith through faith then you would die for your own sin Christ didn't die for your sin that's why I say he didn't die for everybody's sin now. it's only those that believe he had given them power to become sons of God he had given you the ability he had given you that capability and the might but what you have to do you have to be washed by his word you have to be sanctified you have to set apart be set apart there's a work that he's building his character in you. You have to be in his image, in his likeness. That's what God's doing. That's what he's purposed us for, good works. He created us for good works. 